As we begin to look at the, the uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, which we're still in, in this series uh, on the book of Hebrews, I want you to um, understand why I called it what I did. So this morning's message is called Attachment Disorder. Attachment disorder. Now, it's not really a funny thing if you have attachment disorder or if you have a child that has attachment disorder. It's a very serious uh, issue that affects people's moods and behavior and and their ability to have social relationships. Um, When I was uh, younger, I used to go on a number of mission trips around the world, and one of the trips that I went on was to Romania. And uh, early in my life, Romania was a dictatorship. Um, There was a dictator who uh, ran that country. And he was a communist ruler. His name was uh, Nikolai. Uh, uh, I can't even say his last name. Anybody know it? Ceausescu. Ceausescu? Is that what it is? And anyway, he was um, inspired sometime in the uh, 1960s to begin a program. He actually made it into a law in his country that would um, reward people for having more and more children. And so the more children you had, um, the more you were rewarded in that society at that time. Um, he actually made it a law that you have a huge number of children. The problem was the country was poor um, and they couldn't care for their children. And so these children were then turned over to the government. And the government made these huge uh, orphanages all over the country of Romania and filled them with babies, like newborn infants. They just have racks and racks of babies. And some of you may remember when that regime... Um, crumbled and they went in and they began to bring freedom to that country and you you began to see what was going on sort of behind the iron curtain they called it um it was it was devastating to see how these kids were really just like on farms like like you would have several you know chickens in a chicken coop while you had several children in like a children's coop um and they were not able to be nurtured in that environment they were fed and they were kept safe in some ways, but they were not nurtured. They weren't picked up. They weren't talked to. They weren't related to as infants, as babies. They were just like a number on, a, on an assembly line. He thought by doing this, he could build his country and he could be more successful. Um, it backfired. Uh, his country crumbled under his leadership. And there was great damage done to a whole generation of Romanian children. Because they were not raised by loving, caring parents or people in their lives. Uh, They were raised sort of in factories, almost like a a baby factory. Um, So it's a serious thing, and I'm not at all making light of it. What I want us to do is to understand as we we begin to, to look at God's word this morning, that God created us to attach, to attach he did not make us to live in isolation. He, doesn't, he did not make us to, to be separated. In fact, one of the things he says in the book of Genesis, the first thing that's not good in the creation story is it is not good for man to be alone. And often we think like, oh, that's about marriage. That's about, you know, romance. No, no, no. God created us to attach to him and to attach to one another in healthy ways. Ways that would help us to grow and to have what we need to be successful in life, in God's terms. When we have an attachment disorder, we're either unable to attach in healthy ways or we attach in very unhealthy ways. That's what happens in, in, in children or infants who are raised without any care, without any love, without any nurturing in their life. 
So I want to read to you our passage this morning. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. Keep this in mind um, as we begin to think about that. But I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 11, just just three verses here, um, in verse 13 through 16. Remember, we're talking about the, the heroes of our faith. We've been talking about Abraham and, and Isaac and Sarah and, and Abraham's uh, other uh, children and grandchildren, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, they are heroes of our faith, and, and we've talked over the last few weeks as to why that is. But in verse 13, all these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Noah, we talked about several weeks ago, all of these people were still living by faith when they died, the scripture says. They did not receive the things promised to them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. They knew that they were out there. They knew that they were, they were coming to them. They welcomed them. They looked forward to them, but they actually didn't connect with the fullness of that. It says they were aliens and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country that they had left, they would have had opportunity to go back to that country. But instead, these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Noah, instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. That's our passage this morning. It kind of comes right in the middle of this chapter, which talks about these people who lived by faith, who made decisions by faith, who, who followed God by faith. They didn't receive everything in this life. This is a good message for us because as Americans... We are often uh, drawn to like having everything now. You know, this is why the credit card industry did so well when it was introduced uh, several decades ago, because you could buy something before you could actually even afford it. You could have it now, right? And you, we love fast food because you can go th- drive up to a window, throw some money in, drive up to the next window, and they hand you food, right? We like things fast and we like things now. But as Americans, we read this passage and we think, oh... How terrible. They died while they were still waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. It's tough for us to hear that. We don't like that. It feels, it feels wrong somehow. They were faithful. They lived by faith. They made decisions based on what God had said to them and God had promised them. But they didn't get everything that was promised to them in this life. This is a fact of Christianity. You don't get it all here. There are some prosperity gospel preachers out there who will tell you something different, but they are not reading these passages. They're skipping over this part. They don't like these kind of passages because they don't line up with you can have it all now, right? That's a popular message because it makes our flesh feel good. It makes us feel like, oh, good, I'm glad I can get it all now just by following God faithfully. But it isn't now, it's eternity where everything, all the blessings in Christ Jesus are realized. So, you see, God created us to attach. 
which means we're to join or to fasten one thing to another. To attach something to something else is to, to join it together. We can do it with snaps, we can do it with zippers, we can do it with Gorilla Glue, but we can attach things to, to, to something else. But God did not create us to attach to this world. I mean this physical world. Unfortunately, for many, many people, including many of us here in this room, we're tempted to attach to the things of this world. We're tempted to join in the things of this world. But this is not the world that God created us to live in for eternity. This world with its values, with its greed, with its selfishness, with the it's all about me attitude. This is not the kingdom of God kind of world. This is a world that has been so affected by sin and so destroyed by, by the, the effects of sin that it no longer sees the long term that God designed us to attach to him. And the way that we do that is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We attach to God through Christ. This is the message of the gospel. So that then we can be fruitful and we can bring about glory to God through our lives. It's not that our lives here don't matter. They do matter. But while we live here, we are to be attached to Christ who attaches us to God and God's purposes so that we don't get trapped in this world. Like a branch which is attached to a tree, to the trunk of the tree, just as Jesus taught us in John 15 verse 5, in John 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's a slide that we have this on, right? The one who remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. But let's read this next part together. Apart from me, apart from me, not attached to me, if you have an attachment disorder from Christ, you can do nothing. Nothing, that scripture says. And these are the words of Jesus. When we believers have an attachment disorder, it means that we are too attached to something or someone else and not attached enough to God through Jesus Christ and to God's kingdom and God's kingdom purposes. We can get so caught up in enjoying this life that we actually neglect the fact that there's an, another life to come, an eternal life, a life in Christ, a life that lasts forever, a life in our heavenly home, the city that's mentioned there in our passage this morning. God created a city, a heavenly place for us to live together with him and with others. It's not that we're going to be there alone with God. We're going to be there in a community with God. That's why the word city is in there. What God's children are to attach to primarily is to his son, but then to his son's kingdom and his righteousness. Jesus actually said to his disciples, and we are familiar with these verses, seek first, attach first. I'm going to use a little bit of, you know, just this word here this morning, because I want you to understand it, because seek isn't a word that we use too often, but attach or join to, attach yourself first to the kingdom of God and to his righteousness, his way of living with God and with one another. That's what righteousness is, living rightly or correctly according to God. 
And then all these other things will be given to you as well. This is in a passage where he's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what kind of clothes you're going to wear, what kind of car you're going to drive. Don't worry about all that stuff. First, attach yourself to me, to my kingdom, to my, purchase, to, to my purposes, to the righteous life that I've called you to live. And all these other things will be taken care of because God takes care of his children. God does not neglect his children. God does not put them in an orphanage and, and, and just leave them to themselves. God cares and nurtures for his children. That's why he can say in confidence, all these other things will be given to you, added to you. You don't need to worry about the food you're going to eat, the clothes you're going to wear. I'll take care of you. God is our loving father, our Jehovah Jireh, as we looked at last week. He is our provider. In John 18, verse 36, Jesus made it very clear that his kingdom was not of this world. In John 17, verse 13 through 16, Jesus prayed for his followers. Listen to Jesus' prayer. He's praying to the Father. This is just before his arrest. He says, Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in this world so that they, my disciples, might have a full measure of joy within them. Do you have a full measure of joy with you this morning? If not, listen to the words of Jesus. He goes on to say, I have given them your word. The world has hated them. For they're not of this world any more than I am of this world. But my prayer to you, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. I wanted to read that because I didn't want you to get the wrong idea, right? By attaching yourself to Jesus and his purposes, you're not separating yourself out and living far, far, far away from the world. He actually says, as God sent him into the world, he came and he was born of a virgin. He grew up here. He began to minister. He began to touch those who were hurting. He began to heal those who needed healing. He began to even raise the dead. He was very involved in his world. But he wasn't of this world. I believe this is where we get this phrase, Christians are to be in the world, but not of it, right? If you heard that, if you grew up, you know, maybe in the era that I did, this was a very common teaching that we were, we were continually reminded, remember, you know, we're to be in the world, we're called to serve and to love and to be God's presence in the midst of this, but we're not to be of the world. We're to be physically present in this world, compassionate to those around us, caring, but we're not to be of it. Or I would say we're not to be a product of it. That might help it be a little clearer. You're not to be a product of this world or too attached to it. We cannot and we should not be completely separating ourselves from the world around us because the world needs us. It needs actually what we have inside of us. Let's not be arrogant. It's not about us. It's about Christ's spirit in us. It needs the spirit of love and joy and peace, the things that God has planted within you. The world needs that because the world is a very dark place. We're to live in such a way that those outside of the light of Jesus Christ, those who don't know Christ, Scripture says, can see our good deeds 
our generosity, our patience, our love. And they will know that there's something very different about us. They'll know that there's another way, and that way is Jesus. I don't know if you remember the King James Version of the Bible, but I was raised on it for many years. Some of you may have as well. There's a passage in there in 1 Peter which says, we are called to be a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Peculiar is a funny word, right? It's found in 1 Peter 2.9 in the King James Version. It's not seen in our modern English version, I think because the word peculiar began to change the, the meaning. As time goes on, as you know, words begin to change their meaning. I was driving uh, my son's car the other day and was talking to another young man and he said, that car is sick. And I said, no, it runs perfectly fine. No, no. I knew what he meant, right? Because I have a teenage son, right? So sick actually means cool as it would be to us who were raised in the 70s, right? That's cool, right? Um, but words change in their meaning. I guess sick now means cool, right? So it's, a, it's, it's an interesting thing. Words, in the English language at least, continue to sort of morph. So this word peculiar, as I was talking about here, from the King James, actually uh, is most often referred to as and this is how it was used, something belonging to someone else. Now, I never knew that until I studied this word this week. Peculiar meant you belonged to someone else. You were someone else's property. You were attached to that person. If we look up the word peculiar in a dictionary today, we'll see that the most common usage for this word peculiar is someone or something who is strange, odd, or very uncommon, right? But to belong to someone else, especially if that someone else is God, to be known as God's child, I want to be peculiar. I want the world to know I'm peculiar, right? I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm not like other people who have yet to know Christ, right? Or who have rejected Christ. Yet, alternate meanings in the dictionary still tell us that peculiar... So if you, if you read on in your dictionary, that's the first one, something odd, something strange. But if you continue down in, in your dictionary, you'll realize that it still does describe something or someone that belongs exclusively to some group or some other person referring to being attached to something else. You're not out there on your own. You belong to someone. I hope you know that. I hope when you have those moments when you're feeling lonely or you're feeling down or you're feeling depressed, you are reminded that you belong to Christ and that in Christ you belong to God and he is your heavenly father and he has made you so unique and so needed within the body of Christ. He's given you a place to belong even here on earth. And that is in the church, in the body of Christ. Sharing your gifts and sharing your talents and being ministered to and ministering to others. This is how we were designed. The original meaning of the Greek words translated peculiar is what we're meant to be known as. God's people here in the world, but not of the world. Not created by this world. 
Why? Because this world and its value system has been corrupted by sin so that anyone who attaches to this world actually ends up in a position contrary to Christ, opposed to Christ. Or they would use the, the phrase in the, in the New Testament, antichrist, opposed to Christ, against who Christ is and what he is all about. So let me clarify what I mean when I say the world, when I use the word world. I'm using it as it's used in Scripture. And in Scripture, the world, it rarely refers to the earth, like the trees and the soil and, you know, the atmosphere. That's not how world is used. So world in Scripture is used to refer to those who are ungodly. That's just the truth. I know it's not, maybe not a popular thing, but a lot of people aren't aware of this. But the history of the, word, the term world, it comes from an old English wor- word, which I have a slide here because I want you to see where, why we say world. World, all right? World, which is two words combined together. The first one, were, means old. And the second one, old, right? World means man. The old man. So when scripture refers to world, it's referring to our sin nature. It's referring to us before we knew Christ. It's referring to us when we were still captive by sin and by Satan. So world, sometimes you hear world system, but system isn't personal enough. I was part of this world. The old man, the one that lived for self, the greedy one the dishonest one. I was that person until Christ came to me. You were part of the world until Christ came to you. And then he changed you and he transformed you and he made you new again, scripture tells us. A new creature in Christ, a new creation in Christ. And that person is a citizen of heaven living here temporarily on earth. This is going to lead us back to Hebrews 11. These men who, men and women who were of God, but didn't actually receive a place to, they they lived in tents, it says. For three generations, they lived in tents. They wandered about the promised land. They wandered around, never building a house, never building a garage and a driveway and all the things that we have. They just wandered around where God led them to go. They were shepherds, so they had sheep. They had to look for pasture. They had to look for water. But they didn't settle in a city. In fact, we know the story of Abraham and Lot. Lot was his nephew. Lot left Abraham at a certain time in his life and settled in a city. Remember this city? One of them was Sodom and the other was Gomorrah. Not places we want a vacation. Right? Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot went and settled there. But Abraham kept moving. He knew God had a better place for him and for his family. So we got to understand that God did not create us to live sinful lives in a sinful world and just throw up our hands and say, oh, well, it's just the way I am. No, no, no. God created us to attach ourselves to Christ, to make Christ the center of our lives, to be transformed by that, being born again, and become citizens of heaven as God created us to be in the first place. For we belong to God. We belong to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And we're born again into a whole new life. 
a new citizenship. We're no longer citizens or slaves in this world or of our old man, our old life. We're citizens and members of God's kingdom. So we're called to attach ourselves to that kingdom, to God and his kingdom, and to detach ourselves from the old man, from the old world, or from the world around us, which is controlled by sin. You see, we can't remain attached to both. This is where the attachment disorder on a spiritual level takes place. When you try to be attached fully to the world and attached fully to God, guess what? You can't. It's one or the other. We can't remain attached to both. Sometimes there's a detachment that's taking place. And so there are things still in our lives as we're being sanctified, as we're being made more like Christ that are breaking off, that we need to have broken off of us. Maybe they're relationships, maybe they're thoughts, maybe they're things that came into our life that no longer belong in the center of our lives. And what we're called to detach from. So we're in a process. I'm not saying it's all at once. By faith, it's all at once. But the process of being renewed and having your mind renewed in Christ detaches you from the things of this world, from the values of this world, from the sins and and the brokenness of this world, and attaches you to new life, to wholeness, to peace, to love, to joy, to generosity. It attaches you to who God is because now you are his child. And you are learning from him, just like a baby learns from its mother or its grandmother or its father. The baby learns from that relationship. We learn from that relationship as well. If we try to be attached to both the world fully and God fully, we are living in a detachment disorder, right? Jesus said in his word, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. You might try to do it, but you're going to get split in two. And that's not a comfortable position, right? Either you hate the one and love the other, or you are devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus said it like it is. He didn't always try to be super friendly with some of these things he said. He just said, this is the way it is. You can't serve one master and serve another faithfully. You can only serve one faithfully because you end up despising the other. As we look at being people of faith and living lives of faith, we're called to go deeper into a relationship with God and to attach ourselves more fully to him, which causes us to need to detach ourselves from the old man, from the world. Jesus goes on to say, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. Now this is a moment for the Holy Spirit to speak. Who are you more loved by? People who don't love Jesus or people who do love Jesus? Who do you spend most of your time thinking about and wanting to be with and wanting to be like? Is it like people who don't know Jesus? People of the world? Or people who do know Jesus? This is the issue in our discipleship is that we we figure this out, we discern this, and we begin to make changes and allow the Spirit of God to change us. In, In 1 John, the disciple, he wrote, 
Love not the world or the things of this world. Because if any man loves this world, the love of the Father, the love of our Father, God, is not in him. Again, it, it sounds very strict to us. It sounds very sort of, this is the way it is. It's black and white. Because this is the way it is. It's black and white. God said you can't serve two masters. You can't love the world and everything in the world and also say that you love the Father. You're lying, Scripture says. For all that is in the world, John goes on to say, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all those things are not of the Father, but they are of the world. Christianity has been compromised, especially in our country, in the Western world. It's been compromised. We think we can have both or have it all. Scripture is contrary to that. We're either going to attach ourselves to God through Christ and to God's kingdom, loving him, letting his love flow through us, or we're going to attach ourselves to the world. And when Christians and with churches and with organizations that call themselves Christ's organizations attach themselves to the values of this world, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, lust of the eyes is greed, right? And the pride of life, we did that. We're awesome. All this language that we hear all the time, when that becomes the center of our lives, when that becomes the thing that we're attached to, we're no longer attached to the Father. We're detaching from Him. Why do you think we're constantly, constantly trying to get you and all those who we disciple or the students in our school to read God's Word? It is an attachment to God. These are his words. When we hear them, when we read them out loud, when we think about them, we're attaching those things to who we are. 1 John 5, verse 4 and 5 says, For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who overcomes the world, he goes on to say? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's how we overcome our old self and the effects of sin in our old world, right? We're living in the old world. There is a new world that God is continuing to develop and develop us for. In fact, in Romans 12, 2, it says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you'll be able to know what is God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for you in Christ Jesus. If you're letting the world shape your mind and your thoughts and your emotions, you're nowhere near God. You've fallen for a trick. You've attached yourselves to the wrong things. Hebrews 11, the passage this morning, it tells us that none of these people who followed God in the Old Testament, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Isaac, Noah, and the others, none of them entered into the full possession of all the promises of God that he made to them while they were still here on earth. They didn't get it all here. Basically, that's my translation. They didn't get it all here. They died before they got it all here. But they got it all. They got it all. You got to understand, 
Life here is like a blip on the screen. Life for eternity never ends. What they got is far more worth it than anything they could have had here for a, a blip, for a, a, a moment, for a, life, a lifetime here. It doesn't matter if they lived in a castle or if they drove the greatest car ever or whatever. It doesn't matter. It was temporary. It was not permanent. The kingdom of God is permanent and eternal. It goes on and on forever. At the end of their lives as nomads, as strangers in a strange land, the Greek word actually in this passage that we read is refugee. These were refugees. All their lives, these believers were foreigners in the land that they lived in. They left their homeland. Remember, Abraham was called out and he left that area to follow God. They left that. They could have gone back. Doesn't say anywhere in scripture that they were thrown out. You know, they just purposely left their homeland. And I'm sure when times got hard, they might have thought about going back, but they knew that God had promised them something, something worth much more than going backwards, something forward, something eternal, something that lasts forever. The word that's used in verse 13 was a person who was staying there temporarily, but had a permanent home somewhere else. That, that word there in verse 13 of Hebrews. They did not receive the promise. They welcomed it from a distance. They were aliens and strangers in this world. Now, aliens, we always think of little green men with antennas, right? That's not what it means. It's more like refugee. But the thing is, that word in the Greek means, yes, they were refugees temporarily, but they had a permanent home somewhere else. And it's not in, you know, Key West. It's not in Hawaii. They had a permanent home. Those places are temporary. I don't know when Key West and Hawaii are going to go under the sea level, but it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. These are temporary places. So no matter where you live, if it's a castle or if it's just a nice, simple, minimalist home or whatever, doesn't matter. It's temporary. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've received the promise that he has given you and seen it from a distance, you realize it's real and you keep your life focused on it, everything else is temporary. Don't try to make temporary things permanent because it's very disappointing. Very disappointing. I would like my car to never have a scratch or a ding because I like it when it's perfect. How many of you are a little weird like me, right? So you buy a new car and then your kid goes by on a bicycle and the little rubber things that are supposed to protect the handles on the bicycle, his fell off and he drives right by the side of your minivan. Brand new, like a week old. I won't tell you which kid. I've forgiven him. I've forgiven him. But everything new gets old here. The cool thing about our eternal life, everything old, like you and me, gets new there. It's the opposite. It's literally like, like upside down world, right? Everything old, everything decrepit, everything falling apart becomes new there. I love that and I can't wait for that and I hope that you're just as excited about that as I am. This is a temporary world we live in. This is not something that we should sink down deeply into and invest everything in because it's only temporary. 
Every king who ever lived, human, has died. His kingdom has been passed on to someone else or stolen by someone else. But our king is eternal. He lives forever. And he invites us to be a nation of kings and priests with him forever. So this image of being strangers in a strange land is actually a picture historically of what the Christian life is supposed to be. There's actually um, these unwritten sayings of Jesus, and I don't put too much to them, but I did read this one this week. It says, this world is a bridge. The wise pass over it, but will not build their houses on it. Get that image in your head. Be wise. We pass over. We're living in this world. I got to pay my bills just like you do. I got to drive my car and get scratches on it just like you do. So we're on the bridge, but don't build your house on a bridge. You have a home far greater than any home here on this earth. We should not be as attached to this world as we are. We need to keep attaching and going deeper and going deeper in our relationship with Christ as we walk by faith. You know, a few hundred years after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived, the descendants of them, their great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren, all were slaves in Egypt. And then Moses. We'll read about Moses here in chapter 11 soon. Moses is sent by God to bring deliverance to bring them out of Egypt. And they went for it. And there was all kinds of stuff that happened, miracles, amazing things. They went for it. And they began to wander again in the desert like their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob did. They began to wander, but they didn't like wandering. They didn't like the food, even though it came from heaven. It was manna. It was given to them fresh every day. They got sick of it. They would get worried that there wasn't going to be enough water. We're going to die out here. We're going to die. You know, God was not going to let them die. But in their little tiny brains, like we have, they started to worry and fret. And so what they said a few times, and probably what they said a lot of times in private, but a few times we have recorded in Scripture, we should go back. We should go back to Egypt. That sounds like crazy talk to me. Because let's remember, they were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves. They were whipped. They did, their lives were worth nothing. They were treated cruelly. But because they didn't like their environment, their circumstance for a little while as they wandered on the earth, on their way to the promised land. Now, they knew that's where they were headed, but they had to get there. They had to go through a desert and over a mountain. And, you know, they, had to, they had to put up with some difficulties. They began to whine. Wah, wah, wah. Poor us. If only we could go back to Egypt. I don't understand. But I do. There are things about walking by faith, things about following God that are hard. We don't understand. And we want to be comfortable we want to rest some more. We want to, you know, try to, like, know stuff. They knew slavery. I guess they'd survived it because they were still alive, right? So they had survived the slavery of Egypt. And somehow that appeared better to them. 
They forgot that Jesus is better, that God is better, that God's plans are always better. They, they didn't quite have it. It took some time. God continued to work with the nation of Israel. He continued to work with those who would listen and those who really would seek him. There's this place that they got to and they knew they could never go back. And it, this is interesting because if you know much about airplanes and, 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 and being a pilot, I don't know if there, we have any pilots here, but there's actually a place, a distance that you can go in your plane and then there's a marker. It's the, it's, it's the no return, the place of no return. We've, gone, we've gotten to the point of no return because they couldn't make it back to the airport that they came out of and they had to just keep going to their destination. And that's where I want to be. That's where I want you to be. That's where I want everyone that we share Jesus to be. I want them to be to a place where they can't return. They know they'll never make it. They won't get back to where they were before. They'd run out of fuel before they got there and they'd crash into the side of a mountain or something, right? We need to be at a place where we know there's no return. We're just following Jesus. We're just going to keep going with Jesus. We don't even understand where we're going. We can't even see it clearly, but we know it's there because we read about it in God's word and we sense it in our spirit. There is a place that you're designed for and it's way better than this. And you're on the journey if you're on the Jesus plane. And that Jesus plane isn't coming back to the world. It's headed out of this world to the better place that he's created for us. And there is no return. Because if we turn back, we will die. We will die. We will become slaves again and we will, we will be in torment forever and ever. That also is an eternal destination. But it's not a good one. So we want to be on a plane that we know we're, we're going we're going to get there, and we're there together. We help each other when things get rough. We're not going to ignore the fact that the, the journey's difficult, but we're going to keep moving forward. To live by faith is to set out in life, following God, feeling like we've already passed the point of no return, and what lies ahead is so wonderful, we don't really want to go back anyway. But we've got to keep that view like these Old Testament believers, they lived their lives looking for a country beyond the country they were wandering around in. Are you? Are you looking for that? I'm wondering what we're most attached to. Are we more attached to this world and this stuff and these relationships with the world than we are to the kingdom of God? That's the challenge for us this morning. I want us to think about those words of Jesus that I read earlier when we talked about the offering. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where's your treasure? Is Jesus your treasure? Is following God your treasure, your goal? Is it what you want most of all in life is to be faithful, to follow him obediently until you meet him face to face? Do you believe his word? Do you attach yourself to it on a regular basis? Do you remind yourself of these truths, even though some of them are hard? Are you attaching yourself to him by abiding in the vine? I hope you are. Our goal is to follow Jesus together because we're part of the body of Christ together. 
you don't have to do it all alone. Sometimes you feel like you're doing it all alone. And then sometimes you break down and you come talk to me or to one of the elders or to, to another Christian friend and you realize, oh, I'm not alone. But some of you, you're stubborn. You want to be alone. But God created you to belong to him, to attach to him, to attach to his people even. Some of them you don't even like, but you're going to be attached to them for eternity. So get used to it. God is perfecting us. We won't always be as grumpy as we are sometimes here. God is giving us more of his spirit, more of his love, more of his gentleness, more of his patience as we attach ourselves to him. And don't attach ourselves to the stuff of this world. This world is going to tell you that's the most important stuff because you can feel it, you can touch it, you can take it home, you can lock it up in a bank. It's not the most important stuff. Moth, they can get in. I don't know how they get in. They're little squirmy things that get in. Rust, it just happens because there's oxygen, oxygenating stuff. Thieves, they're just smart. Even your doorbell camera can't catch them all. Right? The stuff of this world is not as important as our treasure in Jesus Christ. Amen. 